Welcome to Grown Up. I'm Avery Moorclaus. And we've gone international. I am across the planet, far from home, and roving around Christchurch, New Zealand. By the way, that music is the national anthem of New Zealand if you're not up to date on your global anthems. Listen, I'm on vacation, but I think I would be doing you, my listeners, a great disservice if I didn't share with you some stories of people in this beautiful country. So for the next two episodes, count them, one, two, I'm bringing you interviews with grown-ups in New Zealand. So today, the story of a kid who leaves high school, joins the Air Force, serves as a police officer in New Zealand's biggest city, and then leaves it all behind to open a mushroom farm. Also, he's a pretty fun guy. Sorry, had to. The way I met boutique mushroom farmer Tom Brain is not conventional. And in fact, likely it would never have happened without the glorious internet and the internet's front page known as Reddit. I've recently ventured into the very confusing world of Reddit, and one day while planning our trip to New Zealand, there at the top of my feed was a post from Tom. It was headlined, quote, I quit 12 years of government work to start a mushroom farm. And he had me hook, line, and sinker. The post detailed his move to Christchurch after seven years in the Air Force and another five as a city police officer in Auckland, New Zealand. My first question was probably the same one you're asking yourself right now. What possesses a police officer to move cities and open a mushroom farm? I had to find out. So after dragging my entire family to Little Tin New Zealand's farmer's market, I pitched him this podcast and to his credit, Tom actually seemed quite keen to let a stranger from the internet interview him. Even after I almost walked away with $20 worth of oyster mushrooms without handing him over any cash. Quick off the hop here, I'm going to answer a few frequently asked questions from the comments on his Reddit post. His company name is Oak and Spore. This was created by his partner Nikki because oak wood is a favorite snack for mushrooms and spores are how mushrooms breed. Two, Tom grows mainly two varieties of oyster mushrooms and some shiitake because New Zealand has very strict biosecurity laws. That means many of the most commonly farmed species are not allowed here in New Zealand. And three, no, Tom does not grow magic mushrooms. To one commenter who asked if he would have gone that route were it not 100% illegal, Tom replied that more people want mushrooms for dinner than mushrooms to go tripping on. And to another Reddit user who left a single comment, quote, you be tripping, Tom flatly responded, I can honestly tell you I am definitely not tripping. So let's talk about those mushrooms. The mushrooms Tom grows are not your normal supermarket button mushrooms. They are very different. His mushrooms look more like artistic wildflower bouquets than anything. His bunches of oyster mushrooms look like a perfect collection of porcelain rose petals with a slight blue tinge at their petal's edge. And his shiitake mushrooms are like large wooden spoon ends with a slight curl. Just from seeing them at his market stand, you can tell these mushrooms are a labor of love and a true art form. If that's enticing to you, you can find photos of his mushrooms by visiting grownuppod.com. 
It's not until he gives me a tour of his farm, a very impressive backyard setup built from two converted garages, that I really take in how much care is involved in growing these beauties. So the humidity in here is very, very high, but the, basically the blocks come through, we cut a hole in them, and we put them on here, and you can see wow. the mushrooms just go out of the hole. They're so beautiful. So we've got blue oysters, we've got some grey oysters over here, which we went in a day later. Right now, Tom does most of his business by selling mushrooms at the farmer's market on Saturdays, but he's hoping to move into wholesaling to supermarkets in the near future. He also provides local hobbyists with mushroom growing supplies through his website, oakenspore.co.nz. All the while, capturing his progress and teaching others about the work he does through his YouTube channel, where he's actually quite hilarious. Before we embark on this video, I want to make sure you are all wearing your safety crocs, like I am. Crocs are an integral part of the safety apparatus. So, here's Tom. My name is Tom Brain and I grow mushrooms for a living. For boutique mushroom growing like I do, it's, it's a mix between indoor farming and a more technical field of ensuring that the mushrooms, you can grow the mushrooms. They're very tricky to, to grow and they grow really quickly. So it's science and childcare. I like to refer to it as a mix between science and art because if you go in there with too much science, you, some people will just fail. You've got to have a bit of a, you got to listen to your mushrooms, I suppose, and pay attention to them and how they're growing. When you were a kid, what would you have said you wanted to be when you grew up? When I was a child, I would have said pilot, but that was a child, and dreams are free. Um, I never did well at high school, I was never one to sit in class and and listen. So throughout, I was probably a bit misguided through through schooling. Um, and then I joined the military at 19, which was brilliant. So that sort of got me to where I am today. Go back to like a 10 year old Tom and you like tell him how it turned out. What is what does he think? Why mushrooms? <laughs> if you had to give it like a two sentence answer about why mushrooms, what would it be? Why not? And now, a 30 second history of the job, a bit that might actually take me 30 seconds this time because a Google search for history of mushroom cultivation doesn't really turn up that much. The first evidence of mushroom consumption can be traced back to 19,000 years ago. The remains of a woman found in a cave in northern Spain show evidence of mushroom spores on her teeth, which indicated she had been eating mushrooms. Through history, mushrooms were thought to have supernatural origins. Ancient Egyptians believed mushrooms were plants of immortality, which of course led to a decree that only pharaohs could consume them. Romans thought that mushrooms were the food of the gods. And in China and Japan, mushrooms have been used as an in medicine for thousands of years. The first recorded evidence of mushrooms being cultivated in Western culture was in 1650, when Agraricus bisporus, also known as the button mushroom, was grown on compost in Paris, France. A practice that was later moved to underground caves, some of which, fun fact, still exist today. In 1865, mushroom cultivation pops up in North America, with spawn shipped from England, starting as a non-commercial endeavor and then in 1914 moving into an industrialized venture. 
And from there, the growth of button mushrooms expands into other species, like oysters and shiitake, the mushrooms that Tom grows. So, two big questions. Why does a police officer leave his post to grow mushrooms? And secondary to that, why mushrooms? For the answer to both those questions and more, please enjoy my conversation with boutique mushroom farmer Tom Brain. Tom, thank you for being on Grown Up. Um, you are the very first person for the podcast I've interviewed who didn't know me and didn't get begged by a friend into being on the podcast. So thank you for oh, being here. Brilliant. Thank you for inviting me. I will say from the beginning that this was just kind of a happenstance meeting you because I was coming already to Christchurch, New Zealand, and uh, I'm very new to Reddit. And so I follow a couple Reddit um, pages, or what are they called? I feel like you know Reddit more Some than I do. Subreddits. Okay, I follow a couple subreddits. And so I was kind of toying with the idea of asking a couple people that I could find in New Zealand to be on the podcast. And uh, right there on the top of my Reddit was your post about your business. And I just saw Mushrooms in Christchurch, New Zealand. I was like, I have to know more about this. So thank you for posting that. And thank you for being cool with me coming to a farmer's market and asking you to be on podcast. No worries. No worries. I think from the very beginning, what I want to ask you is can you just explain for me a little bit about what a mushroom farm looks like? Because I think even my husband who dropped me off was like Google mapping your place and he was like, oh, it's in the city. He like kind of expected it to be like an outside farm, which is not the way that you grow mushrooms. Can you just give me a little bit of background in the setup so that our listeners kind of have a sense of what it looks like? Well, mushroom, uh, to have a boutique mushroom farm like what I do, you grow mushrooms indoors for one, and it consists of three parts. You have a lab or a clean room, you have a uh, incubation room, and you have a fruiting chamber, and the mushrooms get go from one. They go from the lab to the incubation into the fruiting, um, and each room is, is relatively, for a small operation like mine, relatively the same size. So you might have twenty square meters per room. So you can you you're making this happen in two garages: a double car garage and a single car garage. A double car garage, a single car garage. It's about a hundred square meters, and of of that, maybe 30 square metres is an outdoor area where I can I can mix up substrates. I use a lot of sawdust, a lot of soy hulls. Um, my fruiting chamber, as it's called, capacity, where the mushrooms actually grow, is 24 square metres, uh, 24 cubic metres. I imagine it's more scientific than people think it is. Um, there's a large scientific element to it, I suppose. It's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot of labour. I do this all on my own. So a large part of it is manually bagging, moving, trimming, chopping. But um, you also have to maintain your own culture bank. So I've got maybe 20 different mushroom cultures. Um, and you can put that they store, store them at one degree in the fridge and they'll store almost indefinitely. And then when you want to grow the specific mushroom type, you, you grow the culture out onto a petri dish. And then you move it from the petri dish to sterile grain. And then from sterile grain to the substrate. And um, after a few weeks, you have mushrooms. Cool. Do you work more than full time? Like, how does how do, does this give you the flexibility to be home, or is it the kind of thing where it's in your backyard, so it's like all the time? It's all the time for me. It'll be 11 p.m. and I can be working out there. Christmas Day, I made it four or five hours of work. Um, so it's, it's it's not much of an escape from work, and my life almost becomes work. But on the Flip side to that, I've obviously got a newborn child, so I can be home throughout the day and sort of watch her grow up. And it does mean I can take, I mean, I am my own boss now, so I can take a whole day off and get home 
at six and then do four or five hours work late at night. So tell me how this compares to what you used to do. So you worked in, you were in the military, like you said, and then you became a police officer? Or can you can, just tell me from high school, how did you kind of move towards the government work? So I, I quit high school around fifth form, which is about halfway through high school, and I was never good in a classroom environment. I don't think classroom environments foster the behaviour of some boys especially, and I was one of them, and I sort of fell through the cracks and left. And I ended up joining the Air Force, which was really great because I was a bit misguided, didn't really have any direction. And um, I did seven years in the Air Force, and that gave me a lot of uh, really great skills in life. Um, and then I went from the Air Force to the police. It was five years in the Auckland Police. And then um, I would have probably continued and remained a police officer. I really enjoyed it. I was really good at it. But we wanted to um, leave Auckland and move down to Christchurch. Um, Auckland's got some some really negative points about it, one being a big one being the housing market up there. Mm-hmm. I think it might be the same in Canada. Some cities, the housing price just boomed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Toronto and Vancouver, especially. Yeah, it's a it like just they keep saying the bubble's going to burst and it just keeps going up and up, and up and up and up and up. Yeah, I get the the like the cost of living to stay somewhere, even if you have a good job, can be insane. Yeah, that was it was a big a big thing for us, obviously in Auckland and the police, especially the police in New Zealand, isn't exactly a high paying job. And I was working in Auckland City, and. Do people do people assume that being a police officer is a high-paying job? No, I don't think. In New Zealand, it's known that nurses, doctors, oh, sorry, not doctors, um, um, nurses, teachers, police, fire, none of them are paid very well. That's sad. It is sad. Uh, I think the police get the short end of the stick as well. Recently, we've had a lot of nurses striking and whatnot, teachers striking. Police can't do that. So the police just sort of deal with it and... and um, it's going to get to the tipping point soon. I think they really need to look at it. But it, it is what it is. And obviously I was up in Auckland working at the police and I loved it. The, the money never bothered me. But it was the fact that to, to enter the housing market up there, it's like eight nine $900,000. Unless we wanted to commute for an hour plus each day to work. Let's back up a little bit and say, so you leave high school. You're not a big fan of school. You get to the Air Force. Is the Air Force what you expected? Initially, I probably struggled with the discipline a bit. But it was really good. It was what I expected. It was really good. It teaches some amazing skills. So what do you think you've, you took away from the Air Force that's, that sticks with you? Probably the core values of the Air Force, which are professionalism, integrity, teamwork, tradition. And I suppose I didn't have those core values to me before then. You don't really know when I was 19, you know, you don't really know what's going on. And, and then I left and, you know, I had a, some standards which I'd hold myself to. Hmm. Um, and those standards translated perfectly to the police as well. How long, how long were you in the Air Force before Seven you? years. Um, and then, yeah, I left and, and joined the police. I actually left the I hadn't been uh, accepted into the police at the time, and I pulled the pin on the Air Force and flew overseas and was just going to go travel the world until the police gave me the call-up. I was actually in India at the time, and my recruiter called me up and said, oh, can you get back in two weeks? Wow. So you thought it was going to take a while, and it was quick? I had been in the recruiting phase for three years. Wow. So it took three years from my initial application to get in. Okay, so you finally get hired to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. And is that your dream job, or or how are you feeling about being a police officer? I mean, is it just the next obvious step from the Air Force for you, or is it something that you were really passionate about? Uh, I wanted to be a, a police officer for years. I'd always liked what they do, and... And so I got in and I thought, brilliant, you know, this will be my career. This is, this is what I'll do. 
um, and then a few things in the police disappointed me. Sort of when I got round to that five year mark, I actually one major one of the major factors why we contributed to us leaving Auckland was the police. I applied for a role, a specific role within the police, and the police wouldn't recognise my Air Force training. Wow. And the role was in communications in the police, and I was a communications operator in the Air Force. And I applied and I said, you either need a university qualification or something equivalent. And I said, hey, I've got seven years in the communications in the military. And they just said, I'm sorry, we go to university or don't apply. And that really broke my heart when there's two government agencies and they can't recognise each other's training. You're so crushed that you're like, I have to do something different. Is that is that where you're at? That, or? Well, that job was actually, in, that was for a position down here in Christchurch. So I'd been trying to get roles in Christchurch. Now, another poor thing with the police is that I don't think they have really good welfare um, and they don't foster transferring around the country very mm. well unless it's to undesirable areas. Right, so if you're willing to go where you're going to have to go to the, the, the dirty work. To do the dirty work, you'll get there, but if you're willing to go generally most of the cities except Auckland, it's hard to get to. Christchurch, the wait list is huge. Wow. So that was your kind of one chance at actually becoming a police officer at, when you're moving to Christchurch? I applied for the role and then I was looking, I mean, probably for about a year I was looking for different positions down here to come up and I had my name on the wait list and it was just nothing was happening. And so I actually put in a year's leave without pay and uh, you can do that. And me and my partner Nikki, we moved down and basically that was the year to try and do something other than police. So when does your love of mushrooms spark like how does how do you go from a police officer and a military man to having this like love of growing something so it's actually mushrooms wasn't my first pick it was it was always my second and i had grown mushrooms at home in auckland before and i'd done a watched a lot of youtube channels and there are a few guys who have successful youtube channels who are also very successful in the boutique mushroom growing. And I looked at it and I was like, that looks like a job I could do. That looks like something I could do. But before that, I wanted to be a truffle farmer. Okay, so I think there's some confusion about the difference between truffles and the kind of mushrooms that you grow. Can, probably most people know something about pigs and truffles. Yeah. But can you just explain to me, what's the difference between a truffle and the mushrooms that you grow today? So a truffle is a mycorrhizal mushroom. And that means they form a symbiotic relationship with a tree and they grow on its roots and they infect the roots of a tree and they'll, they will take sugars from the tree and in return they'll give nutri- nutrition to the tree as well. So the fungus will be able to break down other nutrients in the soil and they'll feed it to the tree and in return they'll take energy back out of the tree. Mm. And almost every, I would say, every single tree you see out there has got a fungus which is mycorrhizal on its roots, living on its roots. And so I guess then by nature, no pun intended, truffle mushrooms are underground. Truffle mushrooms are underground. They grow underground on the roots of trees um, and they smell quite pungent because animals will dig them up, eat them, walk half a kilometre, go to the toilet, and then all the spores will come back out. Hmm. Um, There's a lot of other mushrooms which are mycorrhizal as well. 
but the mushrooms I grow here saprotropic and so they actually decompose or break down material. And you can grow them in rooms, in bags, and, and you, you don't have to... you can grow them in rooms, in bags, on wood. Why truffles, then? Why was truffles the dream? Um, so tr it was truffles first. <clears throat> I did my research and I thought, hey, I want to be a truffle farmer because basically I looked at it and I was like, what's the highest value crop I can grow? Right. Smart business ma decision making. And so it was truffles. The climate in Christchurch is good for them. There's some limestone land. You need high... Um, um, alkali soil and there's some limestone formations in North Canterbury which alkalizes soil um, and so I moved down here and I was ready to go for truffles and I'd actually found a piece of land which sat 25 hectares on a limestone ridge in North Canterbury and we put an offer in um, and subject to due diligence and on the due diligence I'd been up there a lot we went up there and we went up there one day and there was a blistering wind and I was actually out with my dad, we were looking at it, and he's like, if you notice all the trees around, they've all got a lean on them. Mm. And so he said that, he was like, there's most likely a really strong prevailing wind there. And because of that, we couldn't guarantee the trees. Plant, we would have planted thousands of oak trees. Right. On the truffle farm, on this 25 hectare block. Because of the strong winds, we, they might not have grown that right, well Right, from at all. saplings. So there was a big risk. And right. the, the, another risky thing with growing truffle is you plant your tree when it's a sapling and you have to wait five, five to seven years right. for the first truffle. Oh my goodness. So it's like high risk, high risk, high reward. Right. But also when you have, you know, a partner and you're moving here specifically to do something like this and you're thinking about starting a family, that's too much of a risk. That was, I mean, I'm a real risk taker. I've always been risky and I, I do like, like I've always been one to, I've got a few investments here and there and I... I can swallow a lot of risk. My partner, not so much, but I can. And But that just was just a little bit too much that I could handle at that stage. So, so I took a step back and I was like, the risk of truffle might be too great right now for a young family and the amount of money I'd have to invest. So I'll fall back onto my second option, which was growing mushrooms indoors. For a second option, this doesn't look like it's going so badly. <laughs> it's going all right. You know, it's going all right. We're actually looking, it's obviously very small right now. But what I've done here was was like a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. Or it was almost a proof to myself that I can do it. Because I'm entering a field that I have, I've never been to uni. I've never looked at a mushroom book at school. So everything I've done, I've taught myself from the internet. And so it's sort of a way to prove to myself that I can do it. And so this year, we're looking to expand further. Um, so the truffles are still on the table for the future, maybe? The truffles are still... I would still like a piece of land and to grow truffles on it. Um, and I've got truffle cultures. I've got really a lot to, to pick up and start producing trees infected with the truffle um, to grow them. But for now, we'll look at growing mushrooms and get to the truffles down the track. You take this big leap, you buy the house you have, you set up, you know, your mushroom farm in the backyard in your outbuildings. What's the most challenging part that you didn't expect? I mean, you obviously knew it was going to be challenging. You, like you said, you, you've never done this before. But what's, what has surprised you about it? It's hard to say the most challenging part because there's so many different challenging things. I suppose that the most challenging part is to get to a point 
where you can comfortably grow out there. I can produce on a good week if I if I really max that room out, I can get 50 kilos of mushrooms out of it. And the most challenging part is to get yourself to a position where you can pull 50 kilos of mushrooms out of your garage. And there are so many factors which come into play during that whole process from bringing in bags of wood pellets to taking out boxes of mushrooms. So how long did it take you from setup to being able to actually have enough product to sell at a farmer's market? Because as I should say, like you do, you the bulk of, of or I guess, is, is that the only way people buy mushrooms from you right now? Yeah, the only way we sell them now is through the farmer's market, but we're looking at our certification so we can sell to store. So we're going to get the certification and then get reefer containers and we're going to double or triple our fruiting capacity. So what does that mean, a reefer container? A reefer container is just like a insulated container mm. um, because it gets quite hot during it. If you have a normal container, it will cook in there and mushrooms don't actually like too much heat. They like it a bit colder. So a reefer container just means we can control the environment better. Okay, so, so then how long is it from when you set up your, your systems outside to when you can actually go to a farmer's market and know you have enough supply? It took me longer. It took me probably six months. You know, I could have done it in two. But there was a lot of trial and error along the way, and I wanted to set it up, I suppose, properly so I know I can, when I start I can be consistent and not come in and, and grow 20 kilo one week and then only three kilo the next week. It took me longer, I suppose. But at, at the same time, it's growing mushrooms is only part of the business. And also, obviously, sell uh, cultures, spawn, and other items online to people who want to hobby grow in New Zealand. So that's the other sort of half of the business. Okay, so you have the, the mushrooms that you sell at the farmer's market. You have the supplies online. Yep. And you can only sell the supplies in New Zealand, or can you sell yes, them internationally? Only, in, unless I get a permit to export only within New Zealand, but I mean, there's, it's pointless really selling them internationally because it's easy just to find a local, another local seller in your own country. Right, yeah. and New Zealand's all about local anyway, isn't it? New Zealand's all about local. Yeah, buying local, I, eating local. I appreciate that. Tell me about why you started the YouTube channel. I extracted a lot of information from YouTube. And a, there are a lot of, there are a few channels, four or five, of other boutique mushroom growers who really made an impact and really, and they, without their channels, I may not have been able to do what I've done because they just give away so much information. So I suppose it was a way of giving back um, and helping other people who want to grow. Um, I really enjoy it as well. I like being on a computer. I'm pretty good with them. Um, so it's a way that I can sort of keep keep that side of my life going and so I'm not out there cutting mushrooms all day so I can come in and do some work on my computer and but um yeah it's um I suppose it's just to see another reason is just to see if I could be successful on YouTube which it's a, it's a slow process YouTube it's very slow especially for really niche niche channels but we'll get there well so I think what surprised me about you when I read your story on reddit um, and then looking at your YouTube channel was I think on paper you're not the guy who's funny I hope you're not offended by that. <laughs> but, you know, like military, police, yeah. farmer. But you're really funny. Tell me, where where does the humor come from? Where do you get that from? I, I like to think I've got a bit of a humorous streak in me. But I started making you, my YouTubes and I would just talk. 
And you know what? I looked at them and I was like, you know what? It's, they're kind of a bit boring. And I was like, I want to add a bit of my own humour into them. And I want to sort of make it. It's a bit more, it's just personalising my YouTube videos to me a bit more. Instead of just me getting up there and talking. And so each video now I generally try and sort of just, as, the, as you'd say in New Zealand, take the piss. It means to joke around. I generally try and add a couple of elements of joking around into them. Just a well, and you have a very good delivery because you're you, but just by trade, you have very technical YouTube videos. Yeah. And I watched a few at the beginning and a few of your newer ones. Yeah. And I really liked them with the humor in it oh, that you brilliant. added the humor, the like safety shoes with the Crocs. Yeah. Like I was cracking up. It was oh, so I love funny. my Crocs. Yes, Crocs are brilliant because you always see things every week on Facebook. Someone's ragging on Crocs, but they are honestly brilliant. I would have worn them when I went out there. <laughs> You're brilliant. True. <laughs> you can do everything in them. So I like it. Well, Crocs actually feature in a number of videos. So Crocs are part of your mushroom farmer uniform. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mandatory. You can't be a mushroom farmer without Crocs. You cannot be a mushroom farmer without having a pair of Crocs. <laughs> so are you hoping, um, what are you hoping comes from the YouTube channel? Obviously you're, you started it to give back and, and share what you, has been shared with you. But what's, what's the, the goal if you can grow it? Like any YouTube channel, would like to monetize it, but it's YouTube. It's very hard to monetize a YouTube channel, mm -hmm. um, and I'm still a long, long way off. So for now, it's about helping educate people, and then I, I suppose helping to establish myself as a, a mushroom girl within the community. Um, I've had a few sales in New Zealand from people who have seen my YouTube channel. Great. Kiwis and then come to me and hey, so you know, there's that element of it as well. Okay, so let's pivot for a second and say, um, how was your partner with all this? Was she like on board? Did you have to convince her? How how did she, I think most people mm. listening are probably like, if I came home and told my spouse that I was going to open a mushroom farm in our backyard, what would they say? What did she say? Um, do you know, she's only ever been 100% supportive. She's never really questioned anything. She probably, when I shifted from truffles to mushrooms, she was probably had a bit of a whew, because the, her appetite for risk wasn't isn't as high as mine, and so she would have been a bit nervous about the truffles. But um, she's only ever been supportive. Um, during it all last year, I mean, we were operating, I wasn't collecting a wage, and so we've pretty much been living on her wage alone. And, she's been, and what does she do? She works for a bank. Nice. She works, and she actually worked for the head office in Auckland for a bank. And she wanted to move to Christchurch, and she just said, "Can I work remotely?" And they said, "Sure." Great. And so she came down here, and she was working some days up to four days a week just from home. Wow. So it's really, um, you know, brilliant for her, brilliant for us. So just like where you were in your life, it worked. It 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 just ended up working. It, ended, it all ended up working. It all came together. Move to Christchurch really came together that well. We've never regretted anything about coming down here. Um, life's probably gotten, although more stressful for me, because it's not just an easy go go to work and come home each day. Um, but for our family, it's probably gotten a lot easier. So how is that to move cities, to leave a career, to s buy a new house? To like that's a lot of change in very little time. Like was that was that something you welcomed, or was it something that was kind of a, a journey? Um, you know, I think we both welcomed it. I think we were both ready. Um, I suppose leading up to it, it's like, oh, we're, 
we had a countdown to leave Auckland, but it never really hit home until it's like, oh, hey, here we are, we're leaving Auckland and sort of like packed my car up and drove out. And we came down here, but we've got a lot of support down here. We actually moved Nikki's um, mum and her brother down as well. Great. So they came down, to, they relocated as well. Um, so nice to have family that will come with you. Yeah, exactly. And my mum, I'm from Christchurch originally. Oh, great. And my mum and dad both live down here. And cool. so it's kind of like returning. I had left. I've been gone from Christchurch for 15 years or something, wow. 14 years. So it was kind of returning home for me. So it wasn't unfamiliar? It wasn't unfamiliar for me. And we came home. We, we immediately moved into my sister's house at the time, which was the house I grew up in. Mum had she bought it off my mum, so we were sort of moving back to home. We we stayed there for a while, while we looked for a property and why I tried to get the truffles going, and then the truffles fell through, and we ended up finding this house here, which had a hundred square meters worth of sort of workshop out the back. I could give my business a go, and then great away I went. Okay, I see what the most challenging part was. What what's been the best part? What's the best thing that's come from? from opening Oakenspore? Probably, obviously we've got a three month old child. It's probably working from home because I am home all day to watch her grow up. And I think there are other jobs, if I was policing still, you know, it'd be day shift, night shift, big segments where you're not there and you miss, you'd miss a lot. Well, and is, is, is being a police officer also stressful on your spouse, I imagine, right? Yeah. Like to to be in that kind of line of work, and I, I, I guess in the military and your communications, but but any police officer, I mean, I don't envy the spouses of firefighters, police officers, anyone. It was is this a, a welcome change for her as well? You know, I think it's probably a welcome change for her because she doesn't worry about me getting hurt. Um, also, my suppose my mental health improved when I left the police. The police. You can get really dark on a lot of things, especially when you deal with the parts of society which a lot of people don't see, mm -hmm. but you deal with them all day, every day. You can sort of get a bit dark on things, and, and I was there, so I suppose my mental health improved since I left. I got a better outlook on life, better outlook on people. Not a better outlook on life, a better outlook on people, I suppose. Um, but, of course, when I was in the police, we didn't have a child and I'm guessing if I was still in the police now, it would be it'd be a lot harder for her. For sure. Yeah. Do you mean just to have to have you have a job that's challenging for your mental health, and then have to come home and worry you're going to bring that home to a kid? Is that the idea? It's just. It was just. It was like with mental health, and you go deal with these these same people, doing all the crime, I suppose, and you come home and you start talking about them to your partner a lot of negativity comes out and a lot of, I suppose it's a dislike or hate I suppose towards the, you know, what you have to yeah. do or who you have to deal with um, and I suppose it kind of, as you leave and you stop, you take a step back from that side of society you sort of start, your outlook starts improving a little more. You spend time with, with more people with positive outlooks I guess. Exactly, yeah, and I'm one for if I'm surrounded by happy people, I'll become really happy. If I'm surrounded by unhappy people, I'll take on the energy and I'll get unhappy myself. And so I was going to work each time, I was surrounded by, excluding the cops I work with, surrounded by a lot of negative people and a lot of really negative situations. 
and you know you do take it on board mm-hmm. yeah you know, I can relate a little bit. I mean, from a from a further stance, having been a journalist, I mean, I don't. I I remember sitting in you know murder trials and stuff, and mm. just thinking, I don't envy these, you know, these detectives who spent years and years on this case while also working on other, you know, every other thing. Mm. It's it just seems like a lot. And even for me, one of the reasons that journalism didn't work out for me as a as like a daily full time job is just the amount of negativity. So I totally I totally relate this idea that. Yeah. You know, and even having a kid now, realizing like how much negativity affects little kids, like it's so I feel blessed to have a job where I'm not surrounded by negative people. So I, I, I get where that where yeah. you come from with that because I can only imagine as having been the reporter on the scene of, of terrible things to be the person, you know, responding to the terrible thing has to be even worse. Yeah, it can be it can be bad for a, a lot of people with me, but mind you, there's a lot of police officers, especially who are unfazed. I mean, I've got a friend and everything. No matter what people do to him, it's just like water off a duck's back. And he's always going home happy at the end of the day. But then there's others that do feed off the energy of others. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was, I mean, I, I would have enjoyed remaining a police officer. But for my health-wise, it probably wouldn't have been a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you for recognizing that and doing something different. Because it's hard. And especially when you're in something that... It's a career and something that people from the outside, if you, mm. you know, if you care about what people think, that people are like, why would you quit being a police officer? Yeah. You know, like the same thing with a reporter. Why would you quit being a reporter? And it's like, well, you don't know what it looks like on the inside. Right? Yeah. So good for you for recognizing okay. that you needed that Thank because you. this yeah. is, it's, I feel like what you have set up now is really cool. Yeah. It's, um, it's been a real challenge for me and it's, it's, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy where I'm at. I'm very critical of myself though, so there's a lot of things I'm unhappy with, um, but I think this year is, a, is going to be a big year, and hopefully I can take the business in the direction I want to take it in. Um, Which is to go to supermarkets and... Get into supermarkets. The goals are, with growing mushrooms, there's really easy, there's, there's a real easy way to set a goal with growing mushrooms, and all it is is kilos per week of production. So my first goal was 50 kilos per week, which I've hit. My second goal is 200 kilos per week, which we'll, we'll look at hitting this year. And then after that, I want to do a ton a week as a third goal, like a long-term goal. So are you at the point now where you can take a salary? Or will you get there? Um, I can. I don't because it all gets put straight back into ex- expanding the business. Yeah, like any, yeah. I mean like any small business. I know how that, yeah. how that goes. So it's obviously it's done. We've done this on, we, we, we've done, we've taken no loans to set this up. There's no financing. It's all been done on now. Good for you. Money we've had had saved and it's, it's the good thing about setting up your own mushroom business is it isn't too expensive to do it in, if you're doing a small scale for a, like a farmer's market. So now I'm at the point where all the money that's being made is, is getting reinvested back in um, especially I've got we've got a lot there ready to go for the containers when we get them in because they have to be all retrofitted to, to be able to grow mushrooms in. So if you're going to supply to supermarkets or I imagine you need a bigger um, setup or can you can you supply with the setup that you have now? Uh, bigger setup. Yep. And that would take you kind of off your own property perhaps? Um, so the reason why I want to do is a container is because I can drop it out there. We've got enough room for a 20-footer. So we can right. back the truck and drop a 20-foot container here. can retrofit the container. And this is, again, sort of proving that I can do it. I can retrofit the container. If I can start producing mushrooms in it, 
then we'll look at the goal is to get a bare piece of land and if, if I make it work with one container, all I need to do is line up containers and every time we need more fruiting space, just another container next to it. So it's basically, the, my idea of the business is to make it modular and make it so you can expand it by simply adding more of the containers onto it. One of the big questions I have for you is to think about your story and to think about a teenager and you're, you know, you don't have a lot of discipline and school is not where you mm. feel like you, like you excel. If you could give some advice to, I don't know, teenagers like, like you or just anyone who's trying to figure out what they're going to do when they grow up, you know, having been in the military, having had a career as a police officer, having started your own business and being a farmer and a scientist and an artist, like how, what's, what's your advice for people who are trying to decide what they want to be when they grow up? Mine would be, um, take a risk. Don't seek what is comfortable seek what is meaningful I suppose and I mean I took it I took a risk when I joined the Air Force I didn't know what I was getting into no idea and I got on a plane and they flew me off and it worked out brilliantly the same with this here I took a risk and it's it's worked out well um, so I suppose here yeah, don't be afraid to do something you're unsure about if you think you can make it work then go for it okay so I kind of asked you this question before but I think it's going to be the major question people want me to ask you, which is, why mushrooms? What is it about mushrooms that get you? Or, I don't know, what is it about mushrooms that draw you to doing this every day, day and night, overnight, on Christmas Day? Why not mushrooms? I mean, I enjoy growing them. I, they're technical, they're interesting, they grow fast, you can produce them in large quantities quickly. I saw them and I thought, why not? Why so that? is it, but is it mostly a business decision? Like, you know, there's all sorts of things you could have done from your back, backyard. Why, why choose this? That interesting. It's just everything about producing mushrooms, I find interesting. And so I looked at it and I was like, that is interesting. I'll give that a try. My last question is always, what's, what is the contribution that you're hoping to make? That when you, you know, work for four hours on Christmas Day, maybe apart from providing for your family and having a way to stay home, what's, what are you hoping that you're, you know, adding to the conversation? Uh, you know, I guess my drive is to have a successful business and to not fail. Like, there's, you, you hear the stories about the one in sorry, like three in every five businesses, new businesses fail. And I suppose I'm out there Christmas Day because I don't want that to be me and I want to succeed. And I want to, I not only want to succeed, but then I want to provide New Zealand with high quality, tasty mushrooms. So, yeah, here I am. I am a customer, I've tried them, and I'd say you're succeeding. That's what I like to hear. Thank you for doing this time, I really appreciate it. No worries, thank you. Thanks for trusting me, a random Reddit stranger at a farmer's market. Oh, it's worked out pretty well, I think. <laughs> me too. Awesome, thanks. Grown Up is created, recorded, and edited by me, Avery Morkloss. My company is Folktale Studio. We are on the road right now, but usually portions of this episode are recorded at one of my happy places, the Switch Podcast Studio at Wilfrid Laurier University in downtown Brantford, Ontario, Canada. 
To keep up to date on what's coming next, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at GrownUpPod, especially if you want to see photos of Tom's beautiful mushrooms. We'd also love to hear your interview suggestions. We'd like to interview regular people who do interesting work, so drop me a name or profession, and I'll see what I can do. Thanks for listening. <laughs>